and welcome to Novel Thoughts, a book chat podcast hosted by me, Sapphire Bates. And me, Michelle Thomas. And me, Joseph Dance. Three book lovers from East Kent. Each week, one of us will pick a book, maybe an old favourite or something we've just read and loved, and the three of us will read and discuss it. We'll also chat about what culture we've consumed that week and take questions from you, our lovely listeners. Before we dive into all of that, how are we all? Really good, thank you. I'm going on holiday on Sunday, so I'm just oh getting gosh. ready for that. It's the first time I will have left the country since before Brexit, I think. So, yeah, I got really frightened the, um, the other day because I suddenly was like, how do you get a taxi from the airport? What happens if I don't have any money? And then I'm like, I have travelled quite a lot. I don't know why I got in this tiz. So you can do this. I can. We have faith in you. I've got this. I'm only going to the Canary Islands. <laughs> only to the Canary Islands. Well, I'm incredibly jealous. I'm I'm not travelling anywhere anytime soon, but I'm I've had a really great week. I'm mildly prepared for Christmas, so I feel like I'm ahead of the curve. And yeah, life is good. Read lots of good great books, seen lots of great TV. How about you, Sapphire? Yeah, not not too bad. I'm I've got my last day of uni this week, so after that I'm gonna be fully into festival. Ready mode. to party. D mob. Well, I'm more a curl up on the sofa with a book kind of girl. <laughs> ready, to, ready to party okay. with a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> party with and my dogs at home. <laughs> yeah. It ends by nine pm. <laughs> but good. Yeah, good, good. I wanna, I wanna know what you've been reading, guys. What, what's been open for well, you guys? First, before um, I talk about what I've been reading, I just wanted to pay tribute to Benjamin Zephaniah, who died recently. Mm. Um, it was a real shock, I think, for a lot of people because there'd been nothing said about the fact that he'd been ill. He was diagnosed with a brain tumour and then he died eight weeks later. And so I, I remember just seeing pictures of him on Instagram and thinking, that's weird. And then obviously reading a bit more about it. Um, he was a much loved poet. He was taught part of the national curriculum. He was also an academic and um, an activist, but he actually left school at 13 because he was diagnosed with, well, he had undiagnosed dyslexia, so he couldn't really read. Um, and then he went on to do amazing things. And... He also, and I I love this about him, he was often an OBE and he said, no, thank you. I don't have any time for empire. So rest in peace, Benjamin Zephaniah. Absolutely. Yeah, rest in peace. I mean, I will be honest, I didn't know who he was. He sounds like a lovely bloke, but never heard of him. That's amazing. I actually came across his poetry many, many years ago when mm. I was a child. I attended a relative's funeral and, you know, funerals are difficult for kids, but someone stood up and read one of his poems and shamefully I can't remember which one it was but it had such an impact on me I mean his his poetry his performance poetry yeah. was just fantastic so definitely and taken at this time of soon. the year I'd say read his turkeys poem because it's very okay. very timely um what I've been reading I've been reading cast which is an exploration of Race and Hierarchy by Pulitzer Prize winning writer Isabel Wilkinson and that's just been adapted by one of my favourite um, filmmakers Ava DuVernay uh, it's going to be in cinemas next year and so I'm the book is amazing um, and very thought provoking and Origin which is out next year I'm really looking forward to watching Amazing, I picked up a copy of Cast recently so I'm looking forward to reading that over Christmas And what about you? What are you reading? I've had a really good week uh, reading-wise. You know, some weeks you just pick up all the books you pick up, uh, you, you really enjoy, and other weeks you don't get as into. So uh, I read The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, which is by a child psychiatrist and founder of the Child Trauma Academy, 
Bruce D. Perry. Is it actually about a boy who's raised as a dog? Uh, it's about all different children. Oh, but yes, one so, of them was so raised, is as, a raised dog. as a dog or by a dog. Is there as a, a difference? Dog. As a, uh, as a dog. But both those statements would would. Yeah, I work. kind of feel like it's the same area of the Venn diagram. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Except if you were raised by a dog, the dog wouldn't be being mean to you. Whereas if you're raised by humans but treated like a dog. That's a different thing. Yes, we're getting a little pedantic, <laughs> I think. But please, that... please talk to us about the book that you've read that we know nothing about. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Um, yeah, really interesting. I mean, obviously, for me, with, with what I study and stuff, it, it feels really relevant. But it's also just a, a really fascinating read. Um, it looks at, yeah, all of the work that he's done on trauma and all of the children or some of the children that he's worked with. So absolutely loved that. Um, I started How to Raise a Viking by Helen Russell. Mm. Uh, so she wrote The Year of Living Danishly, and this is her new one that comes out 15th of Feb. Um, I really have a love for like all of the, the Nordic countries. So I'm really fascinated by this. You know, she's talking about the fact that like the Danish often leave their children in their prams outside cafes to nap and all those kind of like ways that they parent. And I'm, yeah, I haven't finished it, but it, fascinating so recommend that also you like coziness and so i guess hygge appeals to you or however you pronounce oh, it i was gonna say is that how you pronounce yeah, it no I'm, something like that i'm learning too <laughs> i'd always called it hygge <laughs> blank faces <Okay. laughs> pronounce it however you like i mean danish is a notoriously difficult language to pronounce even for the natives so you know i think we can give you some so moving on. somewhere yeah. between Heige and Hugger will land there. I think we you're knew probably what you close. Meant. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'll take that. Um so I also read The Bee Sting by Paul Murray, which I think you read, right, Joseph? I did. Yes. And I'm really hoping we'll talk about this next year, maybe. It's one of our deep yes, dive books. I really, I really hope and we are, so I won't say too much <clears throat> about it because I know we're thinking we might discuss, but um I couldn't resist getting into it. It was it was so good. It's uh, brilliant. Yeah, so very clever. Loved it. One of my favourites of this year, actually. Fantastic. Um, and, then and then I also read... How do you have time? In your 180-hour <laughs> week. <laughs> I, I just like to read. I, I pretty much put a book down and pick the next one up. Yeah. Yeah, I also read... I was very lucky to get a proof copy from Fourth Estate of Coco Malore's new one. So she did Cleopatra and Frankenstein, uh, which was a big hit. And her new one is Blue Sisters. And I, I don't think it's out to the 23rd of May. Um, but I, again, I couldn't resist. I, it's been sitting on my desk just looking at me like, read me. Um, I think she's she's got a brilliant way of, of building characters. And, and I, I really like her descriptions of locations. And again, the characters in this, it's about the Blue Sisters. Um, again, I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil it. But it it's, yeah, it was brilliant. Great. Um, I have been reading Eastbound by Maylister Keringol. So this was first published in French in 2010. Um, and this is a new translation into English by Jessica Moore. It was named as one of the best novels of the year by the New York Times. So that's how it got onto my book radar. My book, is Maylister book, a man or a woman? I believe she is a woman. Okay. Maylister Keringol. Yeah, it's a fan name fantastic before. name, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, mm, absolutely. Strong. Okay, so no spoilers, but I do want to read a little bit of the blurb or kind of summarise a little bit of the blurb because when I read it, I had to read this book straight away. So it's set on a trans-Siberian train heading east across Russia, hence the title. The story follows a 20-year-old soldier named Alyosha 
who has been conscripted to the Russian army. And at the beginning of the novel, he's been pretty brutally assaulted by his fellow soldiers who are already drunk. I mean, they're Russian, they're on a train. No one wants to be a soldier. Of course, they're going to drink. So he desperately wants to go AWOL, but he can't see any way of getting out of this situation without there being dire consequences. Yes, Sapphire. I've got my hand up because I've got <laughs> what else to do. I think I've read this. Who's, the, pu- who's the publisher? I'm not too sure who the publisher is. I've got a physical copy of the book. It's like a really beautiful French kind of style book with a very classy beige cover. Yeah, I think I've read this. <laughs> yeah, read? no spoilers. So we'll, we'll, we, we can always chat another time when we go deeper to the book. But I'm pretty sure, Ooh, yes. I'm pretty Ooh. sure I've read it because I, if, it's, if it's the one I'm thinking about, which, which come on, how likely is it there's another book that's just like this? I think it was really good. It's amazing. I mean, it's just over 100 pages. That insightful criticism is why you join us. It's very good, yes. (laughs) Sorry, guys. No, I mean, it's it's the perfect short book if you want to get into a really great story. It's almost Hitchcockian in a way. Um, And as you all know, Sapphire, Alyosha forms a relationship with a Westerner on the train who's a first-class passenger, and she agrees to hide him. I'm not giving anything away by saying that, because that's all on the blurb, but then it's about their relationship. Neither of them can speak each other's languages, but they communicate via gestures and looks. And it's just really tense, it's moving, it's beautifully written, and I can definitely see why so many people are raving about it. Yeah, it's it's. I I really liked it. When did I...? I can't remember when I read it and it's irrelevant and not very interesting for our listeners anyway. So sorry, guys, but really, really good. Tune in next week. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. You've, you've kind of brought that back into my consciousness and I... I'm really pleased you've read it. Yeah, I yeah. really I really liked These it. Eastbound Buddies. I really loved the setting. Like I loved that it was on the Trans-Siberian... Like that whole, the snow, the, the views out the window. So atmospheric and yeah, the descriptions really of the landscape good. are incredible. We I'm need just, to buy Michelle a copy of this for Christmas now. But because... also I'm just going to say, because, you know, lowering the tone, but if you like snowy trains, then you might like Snowpiercer on Netflix. I don't think you've lowered the tone. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yep. I mean, I was pretty low. I've said it's really good about four times. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on that note, I think let's, let's move along. Um, what are we reading today, guys, and discussing? We are reading uh, Babel by R.F. Quang. And I had to look up how to pronounce her name. She is American. She's American Chinese, so it is R.F. Quang, apparently. Rebecca. Quang, I should say. Quang, oh my gosh. It's R.F. Quang. Okay, (laughs) now we're settled on that. (laughs) So I'm really glad that we... may never have to say it again. As I've butchered it 50 times in one sentence, we never have to say it again. But I'm really glad we're talking about Babel because it's one of my favourite fantasy releases of the last couple of years. Um, and just before we get into the deep dive, should say, as ever, um, we've been spo- spoiler-free up until this point, but we will be talking about uh, Babel's plot and characters in depth. So if you need to skip this part of the podcast, please do, and obviously come back and listen when you've read the book. Um, but for those listeners who have never read Babel and don't care about spoilers, and I know there are many, and perhaps for those who have read it but need a refresher on what it was all about... Should we start with a synopsis? Would that be helpful? Because it's quite a big book and there's quite a lot going on. There is a lot going on. Okay, I'm going to put on my, my best uh, Academy Award nomination. No, do it in a voice. time. In a time. <laughs> <clears throat> it's 1828. Robin Swift, orphaned by cholera in Canton, is brought to London by the mysterious Professor Lovell. There he trains for years in Latin, ancient Greek and Chinese, all in preparation for the day he'll enrol in Oxford University's prestigious Royal Institute of Translation, also known as Babel. The Tower and its students are the world's centre of translation, and more importantly, magic. 
Silverworking, the art of manifesting the meaning lost in translation using enchanted silver bars, has made the British Empire an unparalleled colonial power. For Robin, Oxford is a utopia dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge, but knowledge serves power, and for Robin, a Chinese boy raised in Britain, serving Babel inevitably means betraying his motherland. As his studies progress, Robin finds himself caught between Babel and the shadowy Hermes Society, an organisation dedicated to sabotaging the silver working that supports imperial expansion. But when Britain pursues an unjust war with China over silver and opium, Robin must decide, can powerful institutions be changed from within, or does revolution always require violence? What is he willing to sacrifice to bring Babel down? Just going to take a breath there. Ooh. Just let that synopsis settle and... There's a lot going on. Mm. Before we talk about all of the themes and the characters, shall we just have a little bit of an overview of who Rebecca Kwong is? Yes. Might yes. that be tell, helpful? Tell me more about this wonderful, wonderful woman. So, um, as Michelle said, Rebecca F. Kwong is a novelist and she's also an academic, actually. I think she's doing a PhD she's at Yale at the moment. Flipping over she's like a Renaissance woman. Frankly, yeah. She's, and she wrote this book when she was like 22 or something. Really. She's basically Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> I mean, next, the next thing she'll be doing is a flying machine, surely. We have flying machines, but okay. Yes. They're <laughs> called planes. Oh, <laughs> I was trying to keep with the steampunk kind of flavour of Babel. But yeah, okay. We have planes. Thanks. So. Babel, or to give it its full title, um, Babel or the Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators' Revolution, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list uh, when it was published in August 2022. Um, it went on to win both the Blackwell Fiction Book of the Year and the Nebula Award for Best Novel in 2022. And obviously the latter is a big deal as it's chosen by the members of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. So that's, that's her peers saying this is a good book. Um, and she said in multiple interviews that The Secret History is her favourite novel and heavily influenced Babel. So, initial thoughts? I mean, have, have you read any of her books before? Have, had you read Babel? Do you read much fantasy? I read a lot of fantasy, but oddly enough, I hadn't read Babel and I hadn't read any of her other books either. I think, oh, what's it called? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word for coming of age in fancy. Oh, like a Bildungsroman. Yes. <laughs> Unless they're an artist and it's a Kunstler roman. Ooh. Um, but I think that the that fancy trope of, of going to a magical school mm. is obviously been explored thousands of times. Um and but what I liked about this is that um I think they it, the world building is really well done and it's different to anything else I'd read. So from the opening chapter I was really intrigued as to where this was going to go. It's it was very surprising. Considering how much fancy I've read, it just felt like something completely new that's great because i know um you said you really love ursula Le Guin, so yeah. we're kind of on familiar territory with and harry school potter, for wizards the magic school harry exactly potter, harry potter star wars i mean there are you know the 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 apprentice learning from the master is a well yeah. well-trodden path but there was something new enough in babel yeah, to keep you completely. interested fantastic sapphire what did you think so before i read babel i read the glutton by aj blakemore mm. Um, and up until reading The Glutton, I would have always said I don't like historical fiction or I don't like anything that's kind of set too far back in the past. Like I'd be thinking, okay, 18th, 19th century, that's a bit too far back for me. Um, 
but I heard really good things about the glutton and I liked the idea of of this story of the man that could eat anything. And so I gave it a go and I absolutely had the best time reading it. And I just kind of started to question, do I actually not like things set back in the past or have I just told myself that at a younger age and then kind of stuck to it? And after that, I started eyeing up Babel thinking, well, if I liked The Glutton, then maybe I'd like Babel because so many people had raved about it and we'd sold so many copies in the shop. And I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And I gave it a go. And to be honest, when I read it, I wasn't really sure if it counted as fantasy or not. Like that was actually something I was going to raise with you guys today is that to me, it felt very subtly fantasy. It's definitely fantasy because it's a parallel it's a parallel world to ours, um, but with magic. So as soon as you bring magic in, then you're saying this is not our world. Yeah, and that it, makes it fantastic. It was just so clever how because the magic was portrayed so normally, like it was just an accepted part of their but world. I think that's the absolute key to good fantasy is that the world building and the magic. If you're going to have magic, for it to be absolutely embedded in the reality of the world is imp so important and it always has to make sense and it has to follow rules and what's very frustrating about a lot of fantasy is that there are no rules it's just kind of like oh how convenient though I've got a spell that will fix this thing whereas here it's the what the silver working is quite narrow actually it only does certain things and the rest of the time people are just kind of living normally it's not like they live in a utopia where everything is magically better that's really interesting, actually, because my first question to both of you was going to be, well, for me anyway, Babel feels like a novel of two halves when it comes to genre and pacing. So you've got the first section, which is really rooted in kind of that dark academia vibe um, and focuses quite heavily on character development. We get to know Robin, we get to know Letty, Victoire, um, you know, the crew, the students who are studying at the school. And then the second part is definitely more plot driven. And feels mm. a bit in part like a political thriller. Um, and a bit of an adventure story, which I felt didn't quite mesh. Are you reading my notes? Half. Because that was literally <laughs> going to be my next question. I was going to say, actually, the bit that didn't work for me, and I really love this book, I'll put my cards on the table, give it five stars. The fourth year voyage to Canton, out on the sea... Being I, in China, that just didn't work for me. See, but I'd be interested in your views about genre. You... I didn't mind the voyage to Canton because I think it was necessary. It was the inciting incident that made the rest of the story happen. Mm. Well, they ha it had to be they there because they killed that's... the professor. So, but not just that. But, but he could have also, died anywhere. But also that Robin had to have his conscious. He had to be woke. He had to have his consciousness raised as to what the reality of the opium wars was doing on the ground. Hearing about it in his ivory tower back in Oxford, it wasn't the same as seeing it. And I think he needed to have his consciousness raised and then have that fight with the professor. And that's what it, what kicks off the second half of the book. But that was kind of my problem because I really love this book, but I did feel that was a little crude. Yeah, absolutely. I think the professor drops the any kind of pretense of civility so abruptly in sudden racist language and that you've never heard from him before. And and then it's like done in 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 three pages. Yeah, and I just thought I understand the idea of the voyage as kind of like a, a plot point where Robin needs to go to China to understand where he's from and what he's fighting for. But I was just like, like the death of Professor Lovell just felt really like, like a, a kind of concertina part of the 
plot. Mm. He'd only just given suspiciously given him this exploding metal bar. <laughs> and then he's just like using it two pages later. And then it's accidentally. And then there's very little um I know they do you know, he does. Robin does have this. Oh, I better turn myself in. But it's mostly just how are we going to get rid of the body? And yeah. then it turns into this weird, almost like a farce where they're wrapping it up in a blanket and throwing it overboard. And that I found that that tone, the tonal shift was odd. I thought. Safa, what did you think? I really liked that bit. I think because up until that point, until kind of you get part, they get back from the trip to Canton. To me, it was giving those real secret history vibes. And I loved the secret history, that whole dark academia, the the kind of murder, the the how that affects the characters and their relationships and how they deal with that. I loved all of that. And I was really there for that. So I actually didn't mind that part, that trip, the fact that the professor was murdered and the fact that it happened quickly, I actually didn't mind that. I was so into the book by that point. I was just like, yes, yes. You see, weirdly, I maybe, I just really enjoyed all the stuff at the university. I loved them going through the process of learning um, about silver working, about, I, I honestly really enjoyed like Professor Playfair's lectures and the explanations of the etymology of words. I didn't know that nice meant stupid and boring and I was like things like that I, I love that kind of um deep dive into academia and so actually when it becomes more of a boy's own adventure I found that less satisfying I wanted to know I wanted to carry on at university <laughs> yeah my, my issue with it was I, I didn't love the latter half of the book as much mm. I liked the trip to Canton I was happy with that it was for me, Robin just changed his mind. I get that this trip was supposed to be eye-opening for him, but he'd been so steadfast up until that point, like his whole life had led him to that he was going to study at Babel and this was going to be his future. And then just kind of, like just like mm. that, he's willing to risk everything and become a part of the revolution. He's happy to sneak people into the tower. He's happy to do all this stuff. To me that part didn't feel as believable. I suppose he, on his trip to Canton, saw the kind of devastation that was being caused by the opium crisis there. It and just... that really galvanised him. Mm. But I know what you mean. It came, it came very quick, didn't it? His kind of, mm. his 180. Yes, yeah. and it just felt like he was so worried, like so much of his personality was built around this this is who I am this is what I'm going to do I study this is this is my thing and then he suddenly was like actually no I mean I thought when I was reading it I was, I was thinking about things like code switching um I think Robin has been raised as a, a very proper English gentleman and has managed to do that thing where he's convinced himself that that's the truth and then I think when he goes back to China it it does he sort of remembers the other half of himself that he's pretty much been able to suppress and had to suppress. Um, so I, I agree with you, though. I did, I did think it was abrupt, and I, I actually did definitely think the first half of the book was more successful than the very abrupt shift into this kind of Robin the terrorist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A smorgasbord of opinion. Yeah. Um, we've touched on it, but what did you what did you think about the magic fantasy element in the book? Because it's 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 a it's a very specific flavour. And I've mentioned the term steampunk. That's what it felt like for me. It reminded me of like Perdido Street Station by China Mielville or, or similar books. That kind of weird blend of old and new. So it was a 
recognisable historical past, but with a magical element grafted on. And I think what worked well for me um, was that the central idea of silversmithing and the match pairs mm. um, was quite simple and quick to explain. Yes. So the story could get going much more quickly than if there'd been like really torturous world building. But I'd be interested in your views on that. I loved it. Um, I. It was good. The, yeah, it was really it good. It was really guys. good. <laughs> nine, nine out of ten because I never give ten. It was ace. <laughs> I. I just found it so believable. I thought she was so clever with how she built this world, and it was my first kind of exploration, I think, into into the fantasy genre for a long time. Anyway, since I was kind of a teenager, and I really, I. I did. I really liked it. I had I had a really good time. And for me, that's quite important in a book. I want to sit down, get lost in a world. And I want to have fun while I'm doing it. Like I want to be like believing that this could happen or I want to be able to kind of when I read a book, I'm kind of placing myself in those pages. I'm imagining myself amongst the characters and kind of almost watching what's going on. And I felt I was really able to do this in Babel. And it's, it's opened up a whole new genre for me. So Amazing. I stick by the fact it's really good. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, think yeah. all, I think the good thing is that we all think it's really good. And I also, I agree completely. I thought that um, the magical um, world building was excellently done. It was simple, but complicated, if you know what I mean. And I love anything to do with language. I mean, one of my favourites, as we talked about before, was Earthsea, which is all about the true names of things. And if you name something, you have power over it. This is kind of the opposite, isn't it? There's no true name. But it's about um, the gaps between the signified and the signifier. And uh, because I read English at Oxford. Um, <laughs> oh, I had to drop that in, didn't you? You've oh, never yeah. mentioned that before. I've never mentioned that before. Um, but the, obviously there's a lot about it that was very familiar as well because that's that was my life. And uh, you can tell that um, the author is an academic and I think that comes across, but she, the, the the research she's done isn't heavy on the page. I, I mean, I'm I'm the same. I'm a I studied English at Cambridge, a lesser um, university. So I, can I? Just, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't go to a fancy pants university. So if there's anyone listening that thinks, oh, I feel a bit alienated, don't worry. I'm here with my really goods and my. <laughs> I should say I didn't have a good time at university. So you know. Oh, now I feel bad. Don't worry about it. Um, no, no, that's a, that's a that's a me issue. So I was just going to say I really like the linguistics etymology kind of uh, theme to the book and I thought that was really well done and you can definitely tell she knows what she's talking about 100% should we um, move on and talk about some of the characters yes because I feel like they could open up other themes as well yes um, so what did we think of Robin because I listened to an interview uh, with the author and she said She'd wanted to experiment with queer identities when writing Robin. Exactly, frown. Mm -hmm. uh, she was looking to explore different ideas of masculinity. Um, and she wanted to do that with Robin and Rami's relationship. I didn't really get that. No. There's a couple of tiny things that Lincoln, I noticed. Lincoln, you'll miss them. Yeah, that yeah. Robin sort of thinks about stroking Rami's hair or something at one point and starts to do it and then stops. And then obviously there's the whole thing with, we, we can talk about Letty. We can talk yeah. about Letty. Okay, so Letty is in love with Rami. And we should say Letty is one of the other students. Yeah, She's part of the friends. quartet of yes. friends. And Letty's in love with Rami. And Robin says very emphatically several times that Rami would never look at Letty. 
So there's a kind of undercurrent that there's something going on there, but it is very, very subtle. It is very, very subtle. Mm. I wouldn't have felt that that was what she was trying to achieve necessarily. No. Um, it Maybe almost they felt got like edited out. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so that's, that's surprising, actually. That's really interesting to, to raise because that, you, you do get some subtle hints that he might be, you know, there might be some love there, but really it could just be friendship. love of, of deep yeah. friendship. They were just roommates. And they, and they don't even share a room. They're in like a, yeah, they're not even roommates. So, I mean, <laughs> they live in the same building. It's romance of the century. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah, like maybe the Heartstopper vibe was nixed by an editor. Yeah, Who knows? Possibly. But yeah. I, I didn't get it. So I was quite surprised mm. when I heard her talk about yeah, yeah. That, that being the intention for those characters. So we've talked about some of the other uh, main kind of friendship group. So we've got Letty, who's from Brighton. Yes. She's the daughter of an admiral. Yes. I didn't like Letty very much. I think you're not meant to like Letty particularly. I think you're not meant to like Letty, but I think you're also meant to kind of feel sorry for her. Yeah. Because she's not wanted, not loved, and basically you're just sort of afterthought as far as her father's concerned. She's kind of one of those people, or those characters, where you, if you stop and think about it, you can have compassion for her and think, actually, this is... A defense mechanism this is learn this is because she's yearning for love but ultimately when you're in the book you're thinking oh <laughs> really I, I mean yeah she was dealing with all of that white girl privilege that was a heavy mm. burden yeah, to carry in 1830s england in an imaginary 1830s so, an imaginary well. sorry letty yes. yeah imaginary um but i think as well you know letty does come across as that sort of some of my best friends are indians kind of vibe mm. and what so what did we think about her kind of frenemy toxic relationship with victoire yeah i don't really i mean victoire i think pretty much says that it was quite unbearable at times she does <laughs> and i i could see exactly why because i think letty means well but is just kind of oblivious to a lot of what the others are, are going through and you can see why they become friends because obviously they're all minorities in one way or another they're all struggling in a system that doesn't really want them there but I think Letty in particular, it, it has got that white girl privilege, has got money as well. And even though her father doesn't really have any interest in her, the others all come from very different backgrounds. And so I think Letty's, you know, she takes a lot of things for granted. I think that's what was quite interesting about the characters, what you just said there, Michelle, about how they are all very different and they're kind of, they come together because they're all minorities and they're all feeling kind of outcast. And I, I do wonder whether had the story been written differently, of course, it's fiction because I was going to say if they'd met in a different scenario, they're not real. <laughs> if if the story had been different, I'm not sure they'd even be friends because mm. none of them actually had that much in common apart from these differences in terms of, of the things that they liked, their personality traits. There was lots of differences there that actually might have stopped a friendship if they were somewhere else in... Though so I think when you go up to university and you're 18 and you're... It's the first time for a lot of people. They're just... They do kind of grab and cling on to people in Freshers' Week and then never let go. Well, and they're, in, they're a very small group, aren't they, mm. within Oxford? And they're kind of brought together. They've been selected to be part of this really prestigious institution which keeps them isolated I mean, deliberately there are, deliberately, well. yeah. I, there, there are other students in the book who we hear from, like Kathy and um, some of the other fourth years. Um, I, I, yeah. I thought they were interesting characters, but they didn't really add much to the plot for me. 
Well, obviously, the one who isn't a student, Griffin, does add a lot to the plot. Yes. Um, and I think his relationship with Robin is really interesting. I mean, he and Robin are like two halves of a coin in a weird way. Did you not find <clears> that <throat> that part of the plot a bit cliche? Oh, a brother I didn't know about. A little bit. And actually, at one point, well, at the beginning, I thought that potentially Griffin was a you know, part of Robin's imagination. Because mm. they're brothers, aren't they? they? They have a kind of a biological link. So I thought maybe it was a, I don't know, like a dark self that he was arguing with. But well, I did, it kind I, of is. It, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's yeah. chosen a different path. Yeah. But I, I mean, I felt really sorry for Griffin because I, he's a classic, <laughs> almost like those children who were adopted out of their race and then had to kind of live in a village where they were the only black child. And, and then obviously that both of them have been adopted by this father who has no interest in them whatsoever as children. They are literally like, an experiment. I mean, not even adopted because he yeah. wouldn't adopt them, right? No, he but was just ward. looking after yeah, them. They're his wards, but he has no interest in them as human beings. And the fact, I mean, that I think is another reason why those four come together so quickly and form that friendship group is that they're all really miserable and lonely and neglected. And so, in one way or another, and they're none of them, apart from Letty, are at home. And so they're just desperate to find something. They're like a raft for each other, really, to cling to. And they're going through, even though they don't have that much in common, they're going through the same process at university. So they have that in common, if you like. Can I just put a shout out in for Professor Margaret Craft, who I think was one of my favourite side characters? Um, almost um, no kind of uh, warning that she was be going to become the star of the show towards the end of the book. <laughs> I absolutely loved her, her what part about in, the, in the finale. Well, he was kind of the voice of reasoning, <laughs> yes. wasn't he, at the end? But I just thought Professor Craft, she had the, you know, she was stoical. She, she led them um, it, during the rebellion. She and, stopped uh, them drinking wine. She stopped them drinking wine <laughs> and she brought the wine out. She obviously changed her mind quite quickly. Um, and then she had this fantastic, like, wise quip where she said, you know, I'm not going to get tenure now, so I might as well die. <laughs> die in this rebellion. I just well, thought, go for it. tenure or death. I tenure mean, or <laughs> death. I mean, it's hard to be an academic nowadays. Um, I really did like her. Um, I, The end, I was not entirely satisfied by. I just, I, and again, I would say I, I love this book, but I mean, it partly it's, it reflects the the four on the three's naivety that they don't really understand how the world works. So they're so convinced that we can just do this and it'll all it'll all come tumbling down because they need us, they need us. And I think that idea that you know that the world will fall apart if these couple of students stopped what they were doing. I mean, the fact that they then you know they join up with the working class. Um, workers but it's like why didn't you think about doing that before you instituted your rebellion I found that rebellion? quite touching though it was that, touching. but like they had like lame's names didn't they like <laughs> Abel Goodman <laughs> I have built you barricades <laughs> It was quite funny when he was like, the barricades are a symbol of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, No, the they? barricades are a barricade. Yeah. <laughs> no, the barricades say we're serious. It's like, what? Okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Is this in, a, in like Revolution 101? I mean, it was a bit, um, a bit odd. But yeah, I just, I found the, the ending unsatisfying because again, like I said, I think it does reflect their naivety, but it's, it was just like, they had no plan they just assumed that everyone would be like, of course you're right. And, you know, we can see the moral justification of what you're doing. And they go in and then they, they just go off half-cocked. 
But I think that's all part of them just being a, a group young. of young people yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just that completely. enthusiasm and they didn't know where, where it was going to lead them. I mean, I have to say, I kind of welled up at the end when the tower came crashing down. How, how about you, Safa? Um, I, I'm quite stoic, so I wasn't welling up. <laughs> it takes a lot to get me You were cry. laughing. <laughs> yes, I was having a ball. Um, no, I felt the emotions and I, and I thought, oh, a shame. But yeah, I kind of felt that that was coming. I, I felt, you know, there's no real plan here. And... I just felt like I kind of was already thinking, I'm not sure you guys are going to get what you want from this. The government, uh, that was an the ideal government scenario. from the word go were a bit like, yeah, whatever. It seemed like the government didn't really care. <laughs> and, and I mean, that seems that pretty seems realistic. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> a bit like our government. I, I forget the name of the character, but I mean, I was just thinking in the last part of the book, there's a chap who's writing everything down, isn't there? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. isn't that part of the message? Like, you, we're going to die now, but this story is going to be known yes, in many it years was meant to come to... and it's going to inspire more revolution. Yes, I, I think, mean, that was my reading of it. Yeah, I think the idea was, although this might not have had the effect that they wanted, it's all of these small actions of revolution that can, can grow into oh, it's something e bigger. Ibrahim. 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 Yeah. Makes, it's, yeah, so he's making a, you know, so this doesn't just disappear. But then, as we know, history is written by the victors. So this would be an interesting... Yeah, or just the people who write it down. Yeah. So um, we've talked about the ending. What would you change about the book? Well, I mean, what, we've talked about the strengths and weaknesses as well, but how, how would you change this book to make it your, your perfect version of Babel? Oh, I don't think I would change it. I know I've said that there were things I didn't think were perfect about it, but I think it actually... I still really loved it. Okay, so you wouldn't yeah. want more dark academia, time, more time spent in the school at the start? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Sapphire? I think potentially, I mean, the idea of always, of, of changing a book that an author's wrote always feels quite, quite, uh, like sacrilege, like, like you shouldn't. It's a transgressive um, question. Yeah. But that being said, uh, potentially for me, I just would have set Robin up more from the beginning to have just an, an edge of rebellious streak in him, like just, just a, something in there that would make that transition partway through mm. the book flow. And be more believable. Poor Robin has been so crushed by his the professor that he just has no. Yeah, I just felt I'd need a little, mm. just a little something early on. Could be something really small, and it would it would help me find it more. Can I give you something very small? Go on. Which is there's a bit of foreshadowing. When Robin's looking back on the um, friendship group, he says, "Were we too quick to trust each other?" Yeah. And that is like a little bit of a motif throughout. Mm. I mean, I really liked Robin as a character. If I, I agree, it's difficult to say what would you change when the mm. book's already been written and it's fantastic. But I would probably turn down the kind of um, nastiness of uh, Professor Lovell and some of the other agents of imperialism. Yeah. I thought that that maybe kind of stepped over the line into caricature at points and I wanted those characters to be a bit more nuanced. I wanted to understand their motivations. Though on the other hand, when you look at how um, people actually genuinely did behave um, in our world, and like it during the slave trade and other things, I mean, they were actually much, much worse than Professor Lovell. So it's maybe quite realistic we're getting the imperialism light yeah. version yeah, yeah. Okay. and they and the fact that they just don't care how they talk to these people they have nothing but contempt for them mm. they don't really think they're human so star rating what uh, would we give babel i'd give it a fat old five fat old five from michelle i'm on a four i'm gonna give it a five Ooh. so yeah mm. resounding success Amazing. it's a great book
And I think we'd all recommend it. Yeah. Really good. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> is it really good? I think it's really good. It's really good, but it only gets four out of five stars. Yeah. Not, so, takes not a lot mixed to get messages. from me. Not, yeah, no, not fair. superb, just really good. Trebia. Okay, so um, now we're at that part of the show where we're going to try and help one of our listeners find their next must-read book. Are we ready? We are. So our request today uh, comes from Cathy. Hi, Novel Thoughts. I love Murder Mysteries, particularly Agatha Christie's work, but I'm watching a lot of Christie-esque TV shows, such as Murder at the End of the World, The After Party and Horowitz's Magpie Murders. What contemporary writing within this genre can you recommend that would draw me back to the page? So Kathy's looking for detective fiction, similar to Agatha Christie, is that what we got? Yes. Sapphire? Yeah, so I found this question quite tricky because it's not really my kind of genre. I've not read a lot of Agatha Christie. Ditto. But I do like a challenge, so I was... Yeah, having a bit of a rummage through my books. So and you Googled books like Agatha Christie. Yeah, books like <laughs> Agatha Christie. I mean, I have to know these things as a bookseller, so it's not unusual for me to get asked things about books I don't necessarily get drawn to. So what I landed on was there's um, Nita Prose. So she's got a book called The Maid, and then she's got a second book called The Guest coming out 18th of Jan. I think they've got similar kind of vibes and this similar sort of level of mystery. Um... An Expert in Murder by Nicola Upson, uh, which actually features a fictional Josephine Tay. So she's the real-life author who did lots of mystery books herself. And also, she's not contemporary, but well worth it if you like Agatha Christie. My personal favourite's The Franchise Affair by her. Um, anyway, so this fictional um, Josephine Tay meets up with a detective to solve a, a mystery of some kind. And that, again, to me, real kind of Agatha Christie vibes. I also potentially thought Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. So, Which is a lovely book. Yeah, a bit left mm. field, but it gave it's me similar sad. vibes. Yeah, yeah, it's sad, but there is a mystery in yes. there. So I felt like that could that could yep. be something. Um and then I thought um I went a bit broader and I kind of thought, okay, Agatha Christie to me is kind of cozy crime. That's sort of the kind of area I'd I'd veer into. Um, so then I thought of the Janice Hallett books, The Appeal, The Twyford Code. I had those as my recommendations. You stole them oh, from I'm me. So sorry. No, this is good. This is good if you're both recommending the same books. Uh, but yes, as my, I didn't like The Twyford Code as much as The Appeal. Um, partly, I think, because they're quite similar. And I think because The Appeal was her first. Um, but there, it's a sort of epistolary novel um, in, in email form. Um, but it is a really good um Good detective story. I really enjoyed it. Um, if we're going back to the golden age of detectives, obviously when Agatha Christie was writing, Dorothy L. Sayers, I hope, needs no introduction. Um, Lord Peter Whimsey and Harriet Vane. And if you don't want to read them, you can also watch them. Um, the, the TV series is really good. And Georgette Heyer is better known as a writer of Regency romances, but she also wrote about 10 detectives. Um, and... There's one that I really like. I re I reread and listen to them a lot because they're just cosy and the the mysteries are not that profound. But there's a really good one for this time of year called Envious Casca, which is set in a country house and it's a locked door mystery, but it's at Christmas with an ill-assorted bunch of people um, squabbling over 
Christmas decorations and then one of them ends up in dead in a locked door mystery and that has to be solved. So they're good fun. Um, and then I did a bookshelf rummage as well and found a couple of other books that I've read. Um, Eight Detectives by Alex Pavesi, Pavesi and Curtain Call by Anthony Quinn or a couple of others that I'd recommend. That's a great selection. I mean, like Sapphire, this isn't my genre, but I was trying... I have read Lock Room Mysteries in the past and really enjoyed them. So I think for my recommendation, I would suggest The Honjin Murders by Saishi Yokomizo. Have you guys heard of this one? No. Yes, we've got it in the bookshop. I yeah, think. it's been a big bookshop fave. Um, so this was originally um, a serial... Um, and it was published in a Japanese newspaper in the 1950s. And it's just been translated. I think there are five books in all, and they've been um, turned into um, novels. So the first book, The Honjin Murders, is uh, it's the first of the series, and it's a classic lock room murder mystery. And it follows um, a detective as he attempts to solve the dual murder of a couple the day after their wedding. And I just thought it was really brilliant. For someone who doesn't like that genre so much... Um, it's just a great central character. It's a bit like Columbo, but before Columbo, um, a bit dishevelled and uh, um, disorganised. And um, I just thought it was a really great read. And I'm going to read the other four. I like that. I, I, well, I think we've gone quite wide with that. I think we've done yeah. quite well, guys, on that on that one. If I'm honest, that's yeah, a nice selection. So. And I think. I think also this time of year is perfect for detective stories. It's just that you know, relatively easy reads and cosy Christmassy great so that's just about it for the end of the show as always a huge thank you to our producer James now next week is my choice um, book club favourite Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus so make sure you join us for a deep dive into Lessons in Chemistry and a more general book and culture chat as always links to everything we've been talking about today will be in the show notes please feel free to like and subscribe to the pod tell a friend or leave us a review it all helps and don't forget to follow us on instagram and tiktok at novel underscore pod bye see ya bye